0: Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And like everybody else, I love all the Fs that you can say at church. So thanks, Courtney, for that. Hey, the other day in the mail, I received one of these. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of these before, but normally when in the mail you get bills or you get junk mail, but every now and then you get one of these. What is this, you might ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. This is a personal letter. Now, kids, what that is, it's an email... <laughs> That you write out, but then you actually put um, in the mailbox to get sent out to the world. And um, my friend, J.L. Zeckler, who used to be part of our church for a long time, and he lives in Ohio, and he's like, Ben, you know, let's keep being friends. And I'm like, that's a good plan. He said, but what if we were also pen pals? And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I, a little bit as a dude, you're like, pen pals? But I'm also needy, and I need friends. I'm like, yes, I'm in then. And, uh, and because uh, J.L. is such a good friend, he started, he kicked it off, and he handwrote me a note. And I, it was weird because when it actually, came, I knew it was coming in the ballpark, but when it actually came, like it actually did something inside of me, I realized it has been forever since I've gotten a, an actual letter. I've gotten cards, you know, a couple of bucks for my grandma or whatever, but like a letter, like with your name and then handwritten out. And what's interesting is in a letter, it's not like the details we're used to. We're, we're so used to voicemail and email, and we just crank out a million words. But when you get a letter, every word matters. Every word, and I read the whole thing. I'm like, "Oh, that was such a great letter. I'm so glad. I love J.L. And I'm like, I got to get my letter. to Think about writing it back to him. But what was weird about a letter is it sat on my desk, and every now and then I'd be like, oh, "I kind of miss J.L. I wonder how he's doing. And I would actually pick up the letter and I'd read it again. Like I never read read an email. That never happens. But I read this letter, and I have and I probably reread this letter like three or four times. I could not believe it was this physical manifestation of a friendship that I have that he's thought enough to write words down and send them to me. And it just buoyed my spirit. And what I love about Scripture is Scripture is a collection of letters. We see this giant textbook, and it is so intimidating. Tiny print, no, no pictures, lots of weird words, and it's like, no, thank you. But the reality is, is the Bible, is a, it's a bunch of documents, and then near the end, it's a bunch of actual letters. They are letters written from people to the church, that someone sat down with their pen, with their paper, and wrote out every word had intention, and it has been passed down through the generations to us. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to kick off a brand new series, and we're going to look at the letter of Philippians. And underneath your seat, or in the seat back in front of you, you have one of these little um, scripture journals. And this is a letter to the Philippians from Paul, just in a different form. And sometimes it's nice to engage Scripture a little differently, right? We have our big Bible. We might have a, an app on our phone. But for the course of this series, I would encourage you to take, this is our little gift to you, and to just bring it back every Sunday. And we're going to crank through the book of Philippians using this little Scripture journal as our way of engaging God's Word. So Philippians is, is a short book. That's why we picked. It. It's in the four chapters. We're going to crank through it for the next seven weeks. And it is, it's this joy-filled letter of friendship that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And so before we jump in, though, it'd be nice to kind of take a look at kind of a 10,000-foot view. So 10,000 feet, that's like when a plane plane kind of comes cruising in and you can kind of see buildings, but you can't see people yet. And so it's kind of a good sense of what is going on in Philippi, at this church. So what is going on is there's this city called Philippi, and Paul went and planted the church there in 49 AD. And Philippi is Paul's favorite church. I don't know if you could say that. It's like when you have kids, you know, you can't say you a favorite kid, but you do have a favorite kid. But... Philippi was the favorite church. And I know it had to be because when we start getting this letter, you're going to see that Paul just loves these guys. They were partners in ministry. They weren't just a church that Paul planted. They were people who got what Paul was doing. They got the ministry of God, the expansion of the kingdom of God, planting churches, and they loved Paul. And they cared for Paul. And they, they cared for him financially. They cared for him through prayer and friendship. And they were like Paul's like rock. They were his people. And I could just imagine Paul going off to Corinth and going like, I got to hook up to Corinth and deal with this kid who's sleeping with his stepmom. And all the people in Philippi are like, Lord, have mercy. We'll pray for you. Here's some extra money. You're going to need a snack. You know, or going to Galatia, the church in Galatia, they're like, man, everyone's like making sure you're circumcised. You can't eat bacon. What is going on with these guys? They hate everybody. And the church in Philippi is like, Lord, have mercy. You know, we'll send someone with you. And the church of Philippi, was they were Paul's people. They loved Paul, and Paul loved them. And I thought, what a fun gift it would be as a church to unpack this this letter from Philippians. And as a church, our mission statement is to engage the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ that's intelligent, inspired, and involved. And toward a life in Christ is kind of this nebulous thing. Like, what does that mean? Like, we're on a journey. And it is true, we are on this spiritual journey. But the letter of Philippians, at the core of the letter of Philippians, Paul is helping that church understand this movement towards Christ, it looks a certain way. He's clarifying what a movement towards Christ is all about. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to walk through this letter and see what Paul has to say so that we, as we move towards Christ, we get a clearer picture of what it means to know God, to love God, and to be the church. All right, with all that being said, turn not to 1,100 whatever, but just open up your little journal to page number one, right where it says Philippians, right at the top. And let's start together. Now, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right away, we get these letters from Paul and Paul and Timothy. Paul most likely was in prison in Rome for uh, sharing the gospel. He's in prison. And Timothy is his right man, right-hand right man. He's like, he's like his, his, his son in the faith. You know, he's his number one disciple. He's been his partner in ministry, and he's probably the one that's writing this, this letter. And so Paul's in prison with Timothy, and they're sending this letter to Philippi. And if you take a look um, at this map, Philippi is at the very top of those, all those little purple dots. I thought it was high resolution enough, but it's not, so I'm sorry. But the purple uh, line, that's Paul's second missionary journey. And so in 49 AD, right, he ends up in Philippi to write this letter. And what I love is it says this, to all the saints in Christ at Philippi. Because a lot of times we just, think, we just get confused. Oh, we're at Marine Covenant Church. But no, our position is actually in Christ Jesus. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've given your heart to Christ, you've accepted Him and the Holy Spirit's indwelled you, then you are now in Christ. Your identity, your placement is as a daughter or son of the King Most High. Like, that is your placement. So if you are a Christian and follower of Christ, then your placement is in Christ. So he's writing to people who are in Christ, his fellow co-laborers in Christ but they happen to be at Philippi. That's their location. And then it goes on to talk more about it. But there's some important background. What's interesting about um, Philippi, it reminds me of when Kay and I lived in Olympia, Washington. Um, it was a really different environment for a number of reasons. One thing that was really different is we lived right outside of Fort Lewis, which is a huge, huge army base. Now, being, a part of, being in the Bay Area most of my life, we are not army-based people, Amen. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just who we are, right? We're anti-Army-based people. And uh, in fact, we're so cool, we're not patriotic. That's like the Marin County vibe, right? So when we moved to Olympia, Washington, we're like, whoa, what is this place? Because you're right outside of Fort Lewis, and there's Army surplus stores everywhere. People have ammo boxes for everything, for lunch boxes and crayon carriers and doll carriers. It's like ammo boxes forever because they are like ex-army people, right? All the army, ex-army, veterans, reservists, they all lived in this area. And there were so many of them, they actually changed the culture. Like the culture had this whole different sense of pride. So 4th of July was always a big time for me. I love blowing things up. That's really great. But all of a sudden, in Washington, 4th of July was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is Independence Day. Like you need to understand the amount of people who sacrificed their lives and resources for this thing. Like it was a big, big deal. Well, Philippi was kind of like that. Philippi was the place where a lot of the army, uh, members in the army would go and retire. And uh, it was along along a really popular trade route, but it just happened to be a place where all these army officials would retire. And it became this place that had all of this patriotism, all of this civic pride. And being a citizen of Rome in Philippi was like the highest thing. And so because of that, Paul uses that culture and that language to help them understand that, oh, citizenship is so important to you. Well, we're going to talk about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You want to be a citizen of Rome? That's great. But being a citizen of heaven is so important. You worship the Lord and Savior Caesar, but we worship the Lord and Savior Jesus. And so you'll you'll see throughout this letter where, where Paul uses the distinctives of that culture in the way that he writes the letter to grab a hold of their heart. All right, with all that being said, we're going to take a look at this introduction, thanksgiving, and prayer. And uh, one of the commentators who knows Greek way better than me, which is almost every commentator, um, this is all one giant run-on sentence. And I'm like, praise God for people with poor grammar. I'm like, I get that. But we're going to break it up into a couple of different chunks just to help us understand. So here we are in our prayer journal, our scripture journal on verse number three, and let's unpack this. It says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude as he's thinking about this church in Philippi and the way they've been his ministry partners. And he's just praying for them and he's thanking them. And he starts scribbling out this letter. And I love it. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, the reason why he's so full of joy is because these are his ministry partners. And for those of you who go to work, like you think you go to work 40 or 50 hours a week, you spend all this time with people, right? Even if you don't like them, the fact that you sit next to people at a job doing something, your heart is naturally drawn to them. Like you actually become friends, you share in life. But the more noble the calling, the more noble the adventure, the more noble the thing that you spend time with, the more your heart is drawn to them. I love that uh, HBO series, uh, Band of Brothers. It was about uh, you know easy company landing on Normandy and going all the way to the... Um, to uh, liberating Berlin and, uh, and it's the story of these guys and after you know the movie was, was based on real life people and they did such a traumatic and heroic adventure uh, from D-Day on that they, they stayed connected for life like it was this bond that was unstoppable right. Um, I also just recently watched gosh I'm just revealing I don't read books anymore Movies are so great right now. But um, Apollo 11 on CNN just did this incredible documentary. And you think, Neil Armstrong went, on, went to the moon. But there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. In the beginning of the movie, they're showing the computer lab, where they're doing all the calculations. And it's this giant warehouse with thousands of computers. And your, your iPhone could do everything better than that whole room, you know? But it was all these people that worked together to do this thing. And because they worked together, their heart was joined together. And they felt success and joy. And Paul did that in ministry. And when I talk to my friends who in ministry, they, they laugh at me because my favorite hour of our entire week is actually Tuesday at 11. Tuesday at 11 is when our whole staff get together. All the people who have given their entire lives to serve our church who do everything from pastoral ministry to directing ministries to making sure our building and administration and budgets and all those things get taken care of. And for an hour, we gather and we eat and we laugh and we share our faith together. We pray with each other. We take care of logistics, which are always super fun. But it is a joy. And over the years, I realized we have shared so much life together. And it is a joy. Like, it is a true joy. In fact, if I'm going to leave on vacation, if I'm going to leave and be away, I work so hard to not be gone on a Tuesday because I love being with our staff. And that's just one tiny piece of our church, right? We have our leadership team. We met Roberta earlier and another eight or so people on our leadership team. And we have ministry leaders and volunteer leaders and small group leaders and ministry partners. And those are all the things that make the foundation of our church. And when we do life together, gosh, it brings such joy to do the work of God with the people of God. And Paul just gives us a little snapshot of that. I love that he goes on and says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. A lot of times, at least for me, I think it's easy to be a part of the church and there's this work that we do. We do the work of God. And it's so fun and it's so great. And God is actually doing incredible things. But here's the thing I actually forget for myself, that God longs to do a work in me. God longs to do a work in you. And I love it. It says that God is at work and he's faithful to complete this work in you. And he's not faithful like I'm faithful to my wife about all the honeydews in my list at our our house that take like years. There's things that I've not been done. I said last sabbatical I was gonna get done because I am not faithful at completing good things. But God is not like that. He has a work in you and He is faithful to complete it. But if you're anything like me, it's hard. You look at your day-to-day life and you're thinking, God, what are you even doing in my life? What are you even doing? I think, in fact, today, yesterday, last week, I'm dealing with the same garbage, the same sin, the same issues. I mean, it's just all right there. Like, this is so frustrating. God, you say you're going to do this work in me, and nothing is, the cha- nothing is changing, and you just get frustrated and want to throw in the towel. And this is where it's helpful to remember your grandma. Cause you remember being little, and you would go to your grandma's house, uh, you know, for Easter or Christmas or some holiday, and your grandma would look at you, and with her like, you know, really soft hands, and she would like touch your face. This my grandma was kind of weird, but she, that's how she did it, and she's like, "Oh, look at you, Benjamin! You're growing up into such a nice boy." And I'm like, "Grandma, leave me alone!" You know, I'm like, "I'm, I'm 12. I'm working it out." <laughs> but like, from like she hadn't seen me for a year, right? So to go from 11 to 12, like that's a huge difference in the life of a kid. And for my grandma with her soft hands, she was like, "Oh, look at you, Benjamin!" But for me, I'm like, no, I'm still, I'm dealing with hard stuff. It's a day to day, day in and day out. And then the next year, the next year, right? And so it's like every year, my grandma got like this mark in the stand of like, look at you, Benjamin, you have such nice muscles. You're so handsome. I'm like, oh, thanks, grandma. Because I'm growing up. I'm like, oh, see my grandma, she sees growth. She sees change. And we need to have like a grandma moment version of our walk with God, because it can be so depressing to think day in and day out, I am doing the same thing. I have the same struggles, the same issues. Nothing has changed. But when we recognize, and we can think back to a year ago, we think back to five years ago. We think back to 10 years ago. Right, John? You have to think back even later than that. I mean, you got to go way back. And you think, oh, my goodness. God, you have been doing a work in me, and you are faithful to complete it. One of the things Courtney says, is, man, we grow better when we're with other people because we need other people. We need other people's eyes to see us and they can affirm in us. Man, you are growing You are crushing it. A year ago when you were complaining about your boss and this year you loved your boss. Remember that? Oh, remember a year ago you loved your boss and a year now you hate your boss. Like we are in community so we can share life, so we can have those markers, so we can encourage each other that we are in progress, that we are in motion, that today is not the final stopping point. And God is faithful He's not going to leave you stranded. He's going to give you everything you need, and he's going to mold you, and he's going to shape you. And that is hard work. And so before we move on from this passage, I just want to be helpful to remind us that we need to be people that God is at work through our church, which is so incredible. But if we really want to be the church, then we have to open ourselves up and say, God, have your work in me. Continue to refine me. Continue to mold me. Continue to, to sharpen me. As I'm moving towards Christ, peel back the onion and it is scary because that's a whole new level, layer of garbage and brokenness and sin that God longs to heal you and forgive you and transform you of. So God is faithful at work. I love, Paul says it better than me because a little fried. He says this, right? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So here he is, Paul, just oozing love, oozing love for this church who are his partners in ministry. And then he goes on, he gets like all Taylor Swift right here. He goes, "'It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me with grace in both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel.'" For as God is my witness, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. You could just tell if Taylor Swift loved God and wasn't breaking up with boys all the time, she would have some epic song with all the feels. I mean, Paul just loves this church. I feel that it's right for me to feel this way. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. I mean, as another man, I'm kind of like, Paul, simmer down. We get it. Like, you love these guys, but he is just oozing, oozing love. And when I realized what's so great is And I realize that I'm probably out of this habit, but there is an added joy that when we give our hearts away to one another, when we give our hearts away in life and in ministry, our life is so full. There's um, some women uh, who are part of our, our friendship group at school. I mean, Kate and I are part of these guys, but there's this group of women. And for 25 years, this group of women have like gone to Napa and for a weekend, it's like a girl's weekend every year. Year in and year out, they know that this one weekend, they go to Napa and they spot up and it sounds great. And you think on the surface, you're like, well, yeah, that sounds really great. And doing it once is really great. But there's this weird thing that happens when you go year after year after year after year. And over 25 years, right, all those years start adding up. And sharing life begins more than just having nice pedicures and mojitos by the pool, right? Those, you start dealing with, right, breast cancer and divorce and death and loss and remarriage, and bankruptcy, and I mean, everything, 25 years, day in, day out, sharing your heart. All of a sudden, you realize they're not just friends, but you actually belong to somebody else. And we're so wounded by people all the time that we guard our hearts. We're not willing to give our hearts away because we're so scared of them being broken. But the only way for us to fully have this Christian experience in this Christian life is to give our whole Heart. And that's exactly what Paul does. He says, Listen, I've given you my whole heart. I yearn for you. I belong to you. Even when I'm suffering, I know that you're suffering along with me, knowing there are people who are in it with him. And I and I just long for that to be the case for me more and more. And it was so fun as I was studying this passage of scripture. I realized part of the joy of this book of Philippians and the joy of this series for our church is that this posture that Paul has towards the church in Philippi is the posture that Jeff and I have towards you as our church. And if you're brand new, like in the last week, Jeff uh, Mazzarella is the other lead pastor, and uh, and we get to be a part of of leading this church together. And I realized, man, I love him. And what's wild is he loves me. And this is how I know. If you know Jeff, he um, has very good boundaries. Do not call him on his day off right? He has is, he is very good boundaries. And he's, in, and he's on sabbatical right now, and we're all cut off from him while he's on this adventure. And he's been sneaking me some texts. And I'm like, oh yeah, Jeff and I, we're like tight. And so, so he sends me some texts, and I send him some texts, and he sent me some family photos, and I sent him some family photos. And he's like, hey, I'm in town for two days. Let's get a beer. I'm like, oh, we'll go get a beer. So we're having a secret rendezvous beer later this week. Because we're like, we're friends. We're like doing ministry. And what's wild is, I'm not going to lie, when I, first, when I first came here and Jeff first came here, I'm like, he's just this old guy and I'm all intimidated by him and, never, and like whatever. But doing life and doing ministry year after year after year, gosh, I love him. And he loves me. And what's funny is we, we laugh because um, this happens to Jeff more than me, but every now and then some church will call us up and be like, hey, Ben, you know, want to come, will you come consider being a pastor at this church? And no joke, I, I mean, it just came out of me. I was like, hell no. Like, like, I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to say hell no, but it's true. Hell no, I am not going. And the reason is when Jeff and I, when we meet every week and we think about our church and we think about our life together in a total Taylor Swift way, we are in love with our church like we are in love with Marin Covenant Church. I am in love with Marin Covenant Church. I yearn for this church. I think even if this church fired me, I would still have to be part of this body because I love, I love, I love this church. I love the fact that we get to do life together, that we work out life together, that we, as imperfect as we are and as judgmental as we are and as not friendly as we are, we are trying so hard to lean into all that Christ has for us. I love it that I yearn. And it's true. It is so true that we make sure that we get to be here. I hate when I miss a Sunday. I hate when I miss a Tuesday. I love doing life together. And this passage that Paul, I mean, this whole passage of of Philippians, this posture that Paul has towards that church is a posture that I easily have towards Marine Covenant, is a posture Jeff easily has towards Marine Covenant, and not Marine Covenant in general, like Marine Covenant specific you real-life human beings that we get to do life together in. All right. Paul ends this whole time with this prayer. It is a powerful prayer. This is what he says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. It's a big run-on sentence, which, like, if you weren't paying attention, it sounds like gobbledygook, Christianity, y gobbledygook, Jesus loves me, this I know. Okay, so I'm just going to unpack it a little bit, because this prayer is an incredible prayer. And so if you think of it like this, think of a tree in a garden. God longs for us to build fruit, to grow fruit, to be manifestations of the kingdom of God wherever you are tomorrow, 24 hours or now, you are an outpost for the kingdom of God. We are co laborers for Christ about the ministry of God. 24 hours from now, you're going to be somewhere, and God longs for you to be this tree bearing fruit of the kingdom of God. And the way that we bear that fruit is through the way that Paul unpacks this prayer. And he begins like this. He says, may your love abound more and more. I'm telling you, Paul and Taylor Swift are all about the feels. There is something noble and right about having your heart just swell, to be passionate, to be ooey-gooey in love. And you can ask my wife, she's like, yes, I pray for you about that all the time. I'm unfortunate. I'm like the Grinch. My heart's just a little too small. But even though my heart is too small, my prayer is that God would grow my heart. Even if your heart is gigantic, that God would grow your heart. Even if you're not wired to be the most passionate person— Man, you're passionate about something. You need to be passionate. What does God want to do in your heart? And so there is this prayer, God, take my heart and grow it. May your love abound. We have to be passionate feelers. Amen, Benzie? That's how God wired us. We need to be that way. But we, don't just, we can't just be flying off the handle willy-nilly like Taylor Swift breaking our heart all the time. We have their heart, but it's also tempered with wisdom and discernment. May, you, may your heart grow, but may your wisdom and discernment grow. Now, for me, I love that. I can live in my head all day. Wisdom and discernment, that's great. But God doesn't want us to just to be robots either. We have to be these passionate people who are called to live in a really weird county, in a really weird time, in a really complex moment in history. It takes real spiritual wisdom and discernment to figure out how to live in this way. And that's Paul's prayer, that your heart would grow, that your wisdom and discernment would grow, and it would grow so that you would be blameless. Now, in my early 20s, I hated that idea of being blameless. You know, I had high tea, and it was impossible, and it was just too much stuff going on in my life. Now I'm like, oh, I get what blameless is. I always thought blameless was saying no to everything. But being blameless just means you're living rightly. So earlier, I, um, I used to drive really quickly And I got a number of speeding tickets after like my fourth speeding ticket. I'm like, there's probably a better way to spend $350. And so I just kind of decided I'm not going to speed anymore. And so I drive 55, even if the speed limit is 65, I drive 55. I have a book on Audible and I'm just cruising and I'm loving life. And what's so fun is I drive down to church and there's that big hill. And every morning there's a cop with a gun, with a a speed gun. He's just looking like this. And I see some guy blowing past me. I'm like, You're toast. Your toast, and I just cruise by, and I wave to this highway patrolman. <laughs> because in my 20s, I hated the highway patrol. But now I'm like, you're my best friend. You're keeping me safe. I love this guy, right? When we're blameless, we're free. Think about this. Like, if you do your job right, you do your job well, when the boss calls you into the office, you're like, yeah, gosh, the boss needs something from me because I bring something to the table because I'm free and I'm blameless. If you know you've been cutting corners, you know you've been— half-assing it, right? You just know that you've not been doing a good job and the boss calls you in. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know if you're in trouble. You don't know if they're going to need your help. And you get all kind of tensed up. But God longs for us to be blameless because having our heart grow, having wisdom and discernment, being blameless, that's the starting point. That's the soil. That just is the ground zero. That's what has to be the beginning. And then once that happens, then we can grow the fruit of righteousness, Right? It says that may you grow the fruit of righteousness. And what that means is there's two things. There's this, this, this fruit of the Spirit, this internal righteousness that God does in us. The more we're connected to him right, with love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I forgot one. I'm not that good of a Christian, but you know what I'm saying, right? Those are things that God is growing in us. Those are fruit. Those aren't things we got. Oh, make me more patient. That's not how it works. We're connected to God. God grows those things in us. But he doesn't just grow those things in us so that we can be super Christians. He grows those things in us so that we can, our fruit of righteousness actually has external action that we exhibit mercy and we work for justice and we walk humbly with God. Those are the external fruits of righteousness. So we we grow our heart, we grow our discernment. We live blamelessly so God can grow this fruit in us and we can be co-laborers with him. We can be implementers of the kingdom of God to the glory of God. And that's how it ends. And what an important prayer, because for me, I'm the center of my small little universe, and however I'm doing is how the whole universe is doing. And when I come and gather in worship, I'm reminded, oh, no, 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 my story is not the story. God's story is the main story, and he deserves all the honor, all the glory, both now and forevermore. And so I just wanted to end our time, If that's Paul's prayer for his friends. I just wanted to take a little pastoral privilege and say, this is my prayer for you. Paul's Paul's posture towards the Philippians could not be more generous, more joy-filled, more full of love and open-heartedness. And I feel the exact same way. I cannot believe that I get to be one of your pastors here. I love you guys. I love our church. I love what our church is trying to be in our county. And maybe this prayer that Paul had for our church can be the exact same prayer for our church, which is that your heart would grow. And for many of us, our hearts have been stomped on. And so we need the Christian thing of forgiveness and healing to regrow our hearts so that we can be passionately loved with God, passionately loved with the body of Christ, and passionately loved with our neighbors who need the good news. And may we grow in wisdom and discernment and not get so spun out about the wild world that we live in, but ask for the Holy Spirit to grow our wisdom and discernment, that we would sit heavy, that we would not be fear-based, and that we would love the opportunity to live in this world as beacons of light, and grace, and hope. And that we'd be blameless. Not to be self-righteous, but so that we would be ready for any good work that God has for us. And as we're doing those parts, as we're praying that God would build those things in us, we do trust that the Holy Spirit would grow fruit and the fruit of righteousness, both internally and externally, would be abundant in you. And that our church would give honor and praise to Jesus. That is my prayer for you. So let me pray for you. I'm going to invite the band up. And um, in fact, if you'd stand, let me pray for us and we'll continue in worship and then we'll wrap up our time. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, you are so good to us. And I know sometimes even all that ooey-gooey language sometimes doesn't match my heart or our hearts. I'm thankful that you're long-suffering and that you're patient and you're kind towards us. And so may we just move closer towards you. And with a mustard seed of faith, God, may we ask that you would heal our hearts. We ask that you would grow our hearts and our love would abound more and more. We ask that you would give us more wisdom and more discernment in knowing how to live these excellent lives among our friends and family and peers who have no idea who you are. May we have wisdom and discernment and passionate love for you, And have that live in such a way that we are blameless before you and before one another. So we are free. Free to allow your Holy Spirit to have your way in us. To grow the fruit of righteousness. Internally. And more importantly, so that internal work can be externally, that we get to be your hands and feet, sharing the good news of your grace, of your mercy, of your justice to a world that needs it. And everywhere along that journey, may we pause and return praise and honor to you, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the God Most High, Abba Father, our friend. We love you, Jesus. Have your way with us. Have your way with our church for your glory. Amen and amen. Amen.